Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode of When in Romance is brought to you by the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read, and it's a great gift for readers this holiday season. Evenly interspersed among the entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015, to encourage readers to pick up a past over books, to try out new genres, and to choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. Get one for yourself or for the readers in your life at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. That's bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, your favorite place to talk about romance novels, things happening in the world, dealing with people who write romance novels, and people who read romance novels, and people who write what they say are romance novels, but what we say are not romance novels. Anyway, I am Jess. And I am Trisha, and I am impressed by Jess's foreshadowing. (laughs) This is episode 49. 49, Trisha! Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. And we're recording on Friday, December 13th, uh, 2019. In the morning. In the morning. We've only done this like a couple of times, but because of travel and a few other things. So, I mean, my trusty, my trusty beverage at my side today is tea, mm-hmm. not wine. So uh, that's maybe a good sign for all of us. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm in Pacific time, so I'm not even exactly sure if my body still knows it's morning, but it's, you know. <laughs> It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Oh, man. We do. We have a bunch of stuff to get to, but maybe before we dive too far in, should we do an ad spot or do you want to do some housekeeping first? Um, Why don't we get the ad spot out of the way? Then we can talk to our heart's content, at least until the next ad spot. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. All right. So uh, this episode is sponsored by Amazon Publishing and uh, Regretting You by Colleen Hoover. Morgan Grant is determined to make sure her 16-year-old daughter, Clara, doesn't make the same mistakes she did. Getting pregnant and getting married way too young put Morgan's dreams on hold. Clara doesn't want to follow in her mother's footsteps. Her predictable mother doesn't have a spontaneous bone in her body. But after a tragic and questionable accident involving Chris, Morgan's husband and Clara's father, mother and daughter fall further apart. So far apart, they may never be able to fall back together. Number one, New York Times bestselling author Colleen Hoover returns with a poignant new novel about family, first love, grief, and betrayal. Once again, thank you to Amazon Publishing and Regretting You by Colleen Hoover. Excellent. Huge thanks to them. First of many book mentions in this episode of this book podcast. So I guess that's actually not that surprising. So, <laughs> you know, here, here we go. Speaking of books, though, um, huge, huge thanks to those of you uh, who sent additional recommendations for some of the requests that we got. Um, we got a handful uh, so we will share those. And if you, um, we think we caught them all. We had a, an email changeover over the course of the last month. So if we missed anything, um, don't hesitate to let us know. Um, and we will get it in the next episode. Or if you have another recommendation, um, this is our actually last episode of 2019, but 
we can certainly start the new year with more recommendations. Uh, so the first one that we got was related to the uh, request that we got for a book that deals sensitively with infertility and miscarriage or miscarriage rather. Um, and that does not end up with the couple um, having a biological pregnancy or a baby at the end. So um, we heard from Kat who had at, you know, like the morning that she was listening to the podcast had just finished a book called Wait by Susan Finetti. Um, and to quote her, uh, it is a prequel of sorts to Susan Finetti's Brazen Bulls Motorcycle Club series, but it's also a standalone as it takes place several years before that series starts and before the motorcycle club in question is even formed. Um, so if you are not a motorcycle, this is me now, that's the end quote. <laughs> <laughs> if you are, are not a motorcycle club person, you still might um, enjoy this one. It's kind of a historical i was looking at it i haven't read it yet i'm looking forward to reading it um over the holidays mm-hmm. um it's sort of a historical it looks like it takes place in the 60s it deals with um ptsd that uh one of the characters is dealing with as a result of uh his time in the vietnam war um they deal with miscarriages and uh it was a recommendation from cat so that's one we haven't read it but um we did promise to pass on any recommendations that we got um and that is wait by susan Fanetti. Um, we also heard from Wendy, uh, who was so kind and thoughtful and sent us four different books, uh, that were meet, that, uh, meet the World War II FF, uh, romance, you know, marker that we were looking for. Um, I will, I'm going to just give you all the names once and then I'll link to all of them in the show notes. Um, so it's, the first one is Secrets Well Kept and Chain Reactions by Lynn Ames. Uh, The Journey Home by Can... Meenel, M-E-I-N-E-L. So I apologize if I'm pronouncing that name wrong. Letters Never Sent by Sandra Moran. And then Justine Saracen wrote a whole series of spy thriller romance books um, set during World War II. So we'll have links to all of those. Wendy also um, mentioned, and this was I don't know how we didn't think of this, Jess. Uh, <laughs> TheLesbianReview.com is a wonderful source for searching for these kinds of books. There's a search functionality. There's um, different things that are split out by genre on the site. So if you are looking around, that is a great place to find some books as well, If you whether it's these specifically different um, kind of FF romance that you might be looking for. The Lesbury, uh, which um, our Book Riot colleague Danica um I think is the full manager of, I don't, maybe she, she shares responsibility, but she works on it. Um, that's another great resource. So, um, thank you to, uh, Wendy for taking the time to put those together and send them our way. Links to the books and to lesbianreview.com will be in the show notes. Jess, I'm going to let you talk for a while. Drink a little water, tea. Uh, yeah. Have, have a drink. It's funny because I forgot about the lesbian review, even though I follow them on Twitter and regularly read some of their reviews. So, whoa, thank you, Wendy, for reminding me that that is a thing that I already know about. Um, yeah. And I, the, the minute we finished recording the podcast, probably, I remembered that I had neglected to mention um, a n- new favorite um, male author who writes um, gay romance and romance featuring men who love men, whether they're gay or bisexual or whatever. Uh, and that is Jack Harbin. He is a young author. He started out on Wattpad and has been doing a lot more um, publishing of original um, romance on, you know, like Amazon and stuff. Um, but he writes really delightful people and um, is just a fun author to follow and I wanted to make sure I mentioned him in the list of authors who are male presenting, um, who write romance. And I remember that was, um, a question that I immediately had answers to, but should have had one more. So that is one, uh, follow up that I wanted to make sure I included this time around. And just if you said it, I missed it. Is there a book that folks maybe would want to start with? Oh gosh, I would probably start out with Kitten, um, which is a more recent release of his. It's just, it's so delightful. It is an age gap sugar daddy romance. So if you have any squicks about either of those, it's probably not your jam, but if you don't, you're, you'll enjoy it a lot, I think. Excellent. I also, um, happened to read a book that, uh, 
fit one of the criteria after we recorded. Um, and it was Shelby was looking for, um, a book for her brother that was a book that ideally would be romantic suspense in which the female protagonist in an MF romance was pursuing the male protagonist. And I happened to finish last week a book called The Fixer by Helen K. Diamond, um, who we've mentioned on the podcast before. She had a, a she's got a book coming out at the end of this month, which is the second in um, a series that I already like having just read the first one. Um, <laughs> but anyway, The Fixer focuses on Ren and Emery. And it's, I will say both are interested in pursuing the other, but Emery definitely is, um, who is the female character, is trying to kind of break down those walls with Ren. She makes it known that she is interested and she is trying to figure out what his past is. Um, they are both, he is a fixer, hence the name of the book, The Fixer. Uh, and she is still trying to solve, um, the mystery of the disappearance of her cousin. She comes across his name, starts looking for him. He finds out because once you start pulling at strings, someone like a fixer will find out that you're looking. Um, and, you know, it's romantic, it's romantic suspense. So things get dangerous. Uh, and, uh, I really liked it a lot. Um, Helen K. Diamond is, uh, an author who I've only sort of recently come to, but I like what she does. And, um, that might be, it's a great book in general, but it might also be one that would meet that requirement. And last but not least, we heard from Eric, who, um, in regards to our challenges finding an SFF polyam queer, romance with no uh alpha holes as the terminology tends to go um <laughs> eric had a recommendation um he i think of written by a friend um of his hearts of ishira by bethany on uh that's two a's so it's bethany a-A-N, Hearts of Ashira. This will be linked in the show notes as well. Um, I don't have a lot of details about that one, but we will make sure that, you know, like I said, the link is there. You can click through and take a look. Um, and then uh, also, I believe, based on the way that the email looked, Bethany recommended a book, um, or rather a series by Stacey Jones called The Chosen Series. Um, there are aliens and they have forearms and there are language barriers. And um, I think uh, Stacey and, and Bethany sort of do some writing together. So um, it makes sense that they would both fit the same kind of request. So <laughs> we will link to that series. Also, you can take a look, see if that is a good fit for you. So like I said, I think we caught all of the recommendations. But if we missed yours, or if folks have others, don't hesitate to send those our way. Excellent. Excellent. And our last bit of follow-up information, or just sort of housekeeping, is don't forget to read Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. It's going to be our January When in Romance Romance Book Club pick, and I am excited to read it. I know, Trisha, you've already read it, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been sort of holding off so that it can be as fresh as possible when we start talking about it, but I have the feeling I'm probably going to read it this weekend. I'm not going to lie about that to myself anymore. <laughs> I think that's fair. And we never gave anybody dates, Jess, but I think it's fair to say we won't discuss it on our first January episode, but maybe our second. Our second. Yeah. I think is probably going to be best. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be exciting. It's, it's, you know, something to look forward to in the new year for everyone. Absolutely. And if you've been trying to figure out what you want to ask somebody to get you for a holiday present, I mean... You've got a little bit of time to get have someone get it for you and then get down to reading it. So, Indeed. And it is one, um, unlike many of Talia Hibbert's other books, this one is available. I've seen it in a number of different indie bookstores. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think because it is traditionally published where many of her others, maybe all of her others have not been, um, you can get your hands on it. It'll be great. Yeah, I'm pretty sure all of the rest of hers are Nixon House Publishing, which is her publishing house. <laughs> Excellent. All right, we will do uh, – let's do this one other, like, quick sort of silly news story. Uh, and then <laughs> I was going to use a different word, and then I realized it's too early in the morning to use that kind of terminology. <laughs> um, so we will we will do that, um, and then we'll do another ad spot. But Jess, I know what you're thinking. Uh, at this point in the world of publishing and otherwise, no one would ever dream of copywriting – generic words ever again right no, no one would do that no I why can't would anyone they do would that why, no why, one would why except that they would <laughs> uh and so for a brief period of time over the course of early december so last week i want to say 
maybe the announcement came out, it was like maybe a 72 hour period. Yeah. Christine Fian, who, um, writes romantic, I would we call it like sci fi suspense? I honestly, her, her books are not really for me, so I don't know exactly. I think it, it hovers on paranormal. She does write some that's more in the, in the sus- suspense thing. She sort of written some, some of everything. Like, I discovered her in college when there were already like 15 dark books out, dark lover, dark, whatever, the Carpathian vampires. And uh, she's written, uh, psychic motorcycle clubs and witches and sea witches and, and just, she's written a lot of things. Okay. So yeah. So, and she is a big deal. Like she's a fairly well known high profile writer. She's published, um, through a major publisher. So she decided, and it sounds like her publisher, um, Berkeley was not involved in any way, but her trade, her attorney, her trademark lawyer suggested to her that she needed to copyright her initial announcement of what she was going to do is taken down. So I will do my best, but know that this is not exactly exact. Copyright her series titles. And I guess the specific words within them, the biggest one being problematic was the word dark, because dark is a term that people use a lot (laughs) in different books, book titles, series titles, etc. There was pretty immediate and strong pushback. And within a few days, she posted the announcement that is up now about um, how she didn't understand that it was going to be such a big deal. And now that she does, she certainly doesn't want to do it. It was never her intention to cause this amount of distress. I will, I'll link to that, um, her statement, uh, in the show notes, um, so that you can read it for yourself. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of one of those things we were going back and forth. Like, do we talk about this? We, we need to talk about it, but also like, come on, <laughs> you know, what, what are we doing? Yeah. Cause like, I think there were originally seven trademarks that they were trying to go for, and three of them were single words. And it's like, yeah, I understand you want to trademark your dark series because you want to do graphic novels and other independent projects or separate projects from the the series and all of that stuff, and you want to make sure you have like all of your ducks in a row. But honestly, the word dark. Yeah. And it's worth noting, I don't know that we've talked about it on this podcast before, it's come up on other Book Riot podcasts. If you hold a trademark, you don't have a choice about when to defend it and when not to. Mm-hmm. The A decision not to push back against uh, infringement of your trademark, it can be cause for you to lose it. Mm-hmm. So for example, if there was an author who was using the term dark in a series title or a, um, even a book title... And my understanding, and I am not an attorney, is that if Fian and her team did not push back against that, if they said, well, in this case, it's fine, or in that case, it's fine, or, you know, whatever, then she can lose her trademark. So you actually, and I'm guessing her trademark attorney, who is a lawyer, probably knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all, I don't know, it, it's just, it seems a little sticky. It's obviously for the best that she walked away, but it is, you were pointing out, Jess, that it's interesting to see kind of how this went with such a high profile author. Like you can find Christine Fian's books in just in many, many romance sections in many, many bookstores mm-hmm. across the country. Unlike um, in the last large case of this, where I had never even heard, of, I can't even think of the name of the author now. And we just talked about it 20 minutes ago. So Felina Hopkins. Felina Hopkins. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So, but like, yeah, the, the way that the two sort of were different was kind of an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Like there were, there are t-shirts from the first go round and I saw this talked about, I saw it talked about, but there was definitely not the explosion of conversation from all sides. Um, like there was with Cocky Gate. Um, and I don't know if it's just because we were, we, it was such an incredulous thing that there was nothing to talk about besides this is dumb RWA. What are you doing about it? Or if people were like, people didn't want to push back against such a big name author. And I don't know which of those it actually was. So I can't make any claims about how the response went versus how previous responses went, but it was definitely an interesting lack of reaction across the board as opposed to 
you know, the reaction that we did see. Yeah. And I do wonder, Jess, if that some of that was just the amount of of time, because I saw, you know, I mean, Penny Reed and Courtney Milan and I think Sarah McLean, like so, some of the folks who were pretty vocal last time were pushing back pretty hard on Twitter. Mm-hmm. At some point in that two or three day span, RWA did issue a statement, if I'm not mistaken, or at least tweeted that they were looking into it, so yeah. which is different than issuing a statement. And I almost kind of wonder if the fact that it was up and then down so quickly. It didn't have time to actually explode into what the previous one was. Yeah, at least not to that level. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I also think it's kind of an interesting thing to look at the fact that, I mean, the fact that an author who is sort of so high profile would not know that this (laughs) was going to be an issue. I don't know, like that was sort of what surprised me too. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, was there... To read the statement, it does seem as though Christine Fian genuinely did not know. She says that she genuinely did not know and understand how much of a problem this is going to cause for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, It was never her intention to do that. But it it seems like, I don't know, there's a part of me that's like, kind of, how do you not know? You've been doing this for a long time. How do you not do the research before you file the application? Yeah. How did you not hear any, like, (laughs) is are you completely unfamiliar with Cocky Gate? Like, what what happened there? She could be. Is it a willful ignorance? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But that was, I don't know. Someday we'll have to have a conversation, too, about the ways that different tiers of authors do and don't engage on Twitter and in social media in some of these conversations. And mm-hmm. the way that others do, I think there's something to explore there, maybe, maybe in 2020. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. But for now... Um, let's see. Maybe we'll just do our other ad spot and move forward into one more big, big news topic and then <laughs> have some fun rounding up some books of, of 2019. Yes, let's give ourselves a break with an ad spot before we <laughs> yeah allow everybody to, to, to settle down and, and, you know, heat up their tea or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, while you listen to me talk, uh, as we have done before, about our friends at Libro FM. So thanks to Libro FM for sponsoring the this episode of the show. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobooks book releases like The Testaments from Margaret Atwood, The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Ediemi, and Over the Top by Queer Eyes' Jonathan Van Ness. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. We all know the name. But all you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. There is a special holiday 2019 offer. When customers, when you, as a customer gift any three or six or 12 month audiobook membership this holiday season you that customer will receive the audiobook of the year and the number one new york times bestseller circe by madeline miller for free libro fm is sharing this gift as a thank you for those who support local bookstores this holiday season also listeners of when in romance can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month it's going to be perfect if you're doing a little holiday travel, need something to listen to. Go to Libro FM. That's Libro.FM, L-I-B-R-O.FM, and enter code BR3. With each listen, you can take pride in knowing you're supporting local bookstores. That's Libro FM, enter code BR3. Oh, man. Okay. Well, let's do a, a quick sort of happy, fun thing that I think will lead us into a less happy, less fun thing. <laughs> so we actually, on our last episode, talked maybe for the first time about Kit Rosha in talking about some sci-fi that maybe, uh, you know, has beds that are getting crowded, <laughs> HEAs for, for groups of three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, and in sort of a, a, well, not sort of, a very sad turn of events, um, Donna, who is one of the writing partners, it's Brie and Donna who make up Kit Rosha, needed immediate, immediate surgery. I believe she's had it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a little bit of a, a gap in payment abilities because we have some real things we got to figure out about the medical system in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that with, as, as a professional social policy analyst. <laughs> that is my professional opinion. So uh, she turned to the romance community, Jess. She did indeed. And I'll tell you, Kit Rosha, Brie and Donna have a lot of great friends who did a great thing together. 
And they put together a bundle of books, like a huge bundle, 45 books, something like that. 42. 42. I was close. Um, And they (laughs) they called it the surgery bundle. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are books from basically every name you know and a lot of names you should. And they um, are offering, still offering that bundle for... $10 or a higher cost of your choice. And it is, I haven't seen anything about them closing it. And while it was initially created to help Donna um, cover some of the costs of her um, unfortunate emergency surgery, anything that goes beyond that cost will be donated to romance-related support uh, systems of Kit Rocha's choice. Yeah. Here are um, just three books that are in this bundle that we have talked about on this show. The Duchess War by Courtney Milan, Rafe by Rebecca Weatherspoon, Take a Chance on Me by Zuleika Snyder. So that's three of the 42 books. <laughs> there are, I mean, we've talked about Holly Trent on the show, Melissa Blue, uh, Farrah Shan, Katrina Jackson, Alicia Rye. The list goes on. Oh, Alyssa Cole. Did I mention Alyssa Cole? Tessa <laughs> Dare. Like, I mean legitimately this is a bundle of books that is worth way more than ten dollars mm-hmm. so and i'm on the page now just so it says that um they have been able to at least they think so far cover the medical expenses but um they're leaving it open uh in case because they're trying to figure out final treatment plan but they did want to be transparent that contributions from this point forward which that's dated december 7th will likely be going to other community members or to uh food banks donors choice point being they're not pocketing the extra money it will still go to a good cause second point being even if the money was going to like a publisher <laughs> this is 10 20 30 however many dollars you have very well spent yes so we will link to that in our show notes too. And you can click through. And I will tell you, it's not um, – sometimes you buy a book like this and it's like one book that has all of those things inside of it. Mm-hmm. This legitimately is a bundle. You will get each title individually on your e-reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it with – this is this kind of thing is not my skill set, but I did it with <laughs> um, Mac, my Mac uh, computer and – sent the books to my Kindle app on my um, iPad, or I'm sure they showed up in my actual Kindle also. um, And I was able to do it. I did have to read the instructions. But despite the fact that this is, like I said, not my skill set, I did it. I did it relatively easily. Um, So if you find it intimidating, once you're looking at it a little bit more closely, know that it was it's not as hard as it looks. I think it'll be fine. And and I misspoke earlier, the short link is kitrosha.com slash surgery, but the bundle itself is called the Feel Better Bundle, which has a nice ring to it. <laughs> it has a nice ring to it, although I do think it's kind of mean of them to make you say it this early in the morning. The Feel Better <laughs> Bundle is not, it's, it's, it's tough. It's cute, but it's tough. It, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you uh, had an idea for how, how I might transition away from this, you know, sort of unfortunate in that they have to do it, but nice in that romance came through for it, uh, people's story, into a sort of more not good story. (laughs) More not good story. Apparently, I, my New Year's resolution for 2020 needs to be eloquence. Uh, That'll be one I work on next year. I think that's one for all of us. But so Kit Rosha, as wonderful as they are and can be between Brie and Donna themselves, also, they say hard truths and um want people to know things and think about things and unfortunately Bree the other half of Kit Rosha was one of several authors who hit a wall let's just call it gosh was it earlier this no it was it was the end of last week because I wrote Kissing Books early because I had a Friday morning surgery and then everything exploded. (laughs) As happens. As happens. Um, So it it started out, I think, um, uh, Kenny, I think, is who brought it to our attention that there was a book that was mentioned in a list on Frolic that featured a quote-unquote romance between a 15-year-old gymnast and her 30-plus-year-old coach. 
And A, it's 2019, read the room? B, <laughs> there, you know, the conversation started out about why you would include that book in a list, but then it moved to why was this book written and why was it categorized as romance? And that was the thing that Brie kept hitting hitting against people with was, you know, write what you're going to write, but don't write something that includes both statutory rape and what is apparently actual rape in a romance novel. And the people who are engaging in those things are the protagonists in a romance novel. So I guess it would be good to mention the book just in case you haven't come across it because it was pulled down from Amazon. But I think some another author, um, Eden Publishing, maybe picked or publishing company picked it up. Um, and it it's the book that was mentioned is Balance um, by Lucia Franco. I'm I'm guessing that's how you pronounce her name. I I automatically go Italian if I see an Italian name, but if it's not, I don't know. Um, and the author herself doesn't appear to be on. Twitter, at least. Um, so I don't know what response the author might have had to first the mention of her book being in a list and then the forward moving conversation about why this book was written and why it was categorized as a romance. And then everything just went to pot. <laughs> Um, with a lot of conversations being had, I'm calling them conversations nicely because they really were people banging their heads against the walls behind people who might not have even read Balance, but are were claiming that an author can write what they write, and if you don't want to read it, don't read it, versus the people saying, this is not a book where at least the male protagonist deserves a happily ever after. This is a book featuring a quote-unquote romance between a minor child and a man more than twice her age. That's not a romance. And people continued to say that it was, and that if you didn't want to see it, don't read it. And then... Authors were getting doxxed, like, um, who, who was it? Trisha Scarlett Parrish? I actually don't know. I don't think I saw that, but I believe you. Not only, uh, I think cease and desist letter from the author's, uh, legal counsel causing her, like, unnecessary trauma, but to her actual name and her actual address which means that someone shared her information because she sure didn't. And um, so many authors who were just like authors and readers. I'm, there were a lot of amazing people who I follow in the romance community who love romance and want it to be its best, who eventually kind of gave up on trying to argue with these people who, you know, God love them, they think they understand. <laughs> but really, when it comes down to, yeah, she can write what she wants to write. But that doesn't mean we can accept it as part of the romance community. Yeah, it was difficult for some people to understand. And they were like, well, Lolita has has and it's like, Lolita, is your argument here? Yeah, that's not your yeah. No, no, mm -hmm. no. Yeah, I uh, I think you kind of mentioned early on, Jess, there were a couple of different conversations that were going on here. The first, um, the, the, I think the larger conversation being the one that you have sort of addressed about why it is so problematic that this book would have existed in the world and the sort of shocking decision that many people have made to defend it for mm -hmm. some reason. And actually, Jenny Trout wrote a really, um, I thought, helpful piece called uh, Allow Me to Address Your, I will say, BS mm -hmm. to keep us in our non-explicit category and also because it's still before noon here. <laughs> um, 
will allow me to address your BS Lucia Franco defenders, um, which I will link to, assuming it still is up when we do show notes. I think it is. It's from about a week ago. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's an, an, some more helpful insight on as a term of or, you know, kind of a breakdown of why it's so problematic. The other um, piece of this that was coming up particularly early on was the issue of um, Frolic making the decision to put the book on a list. Mm-hmm. Um, and we heard from Megan uh, at Frolic. She sent us a note um, just the other day sort of saying, you know, we're we're not really responding on Twitter, but if you – if Book Riot is going to in any way um, address this – here are some facts. So just, you know, in the interest of making sure that people have this information per Megan, um, I am quoting for you now. Uh, a month ago, a contributor made a list of book pairings, not recommendations or top 10 lists. This book was included on it. At the time we published the piece, the book had an 18 plus character. We included all trigger content warnings to be safe. We were notified of its previous iteration uh, and removed it immediately. The post had 20 views on it at the time. We have strict guidelines for contributors and sensitivity readers on hand, um, end quote. Uh, so there were some interesting things in that for me. First of all, I will, you know, take Megan at her word that the version of the book that was available at the time that the article was published, the person was an adult. Mm-hmm. That would change things for me. I will also say, and I, I did mention this to Megan when I replied, I think it's as someone who both writes and reads book lists from book websites on a regular basis, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty tough to make the case that a list of books that you're publishing on your site is not recommendations. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that is, it is kind of what it is. I will also mention that I, I did kind of posit the other thing that I was thinking that, you know, a lot of folks took a lot of heat um, over their their condemnation, I guess, of the book and, and the time and energy that they um, spent pointing out that it was problematic. And so I kind of, you know, as I said to Megan, you know, it's I understand trying to stay away from the Twitter dumpster fire, but is there any call for... A site in this sort of situation, whether it's, you know, if, if it were Book Riot and we messed up or it was, you know, Frolic or whoever, um, is there any call to at least make a statement to say, you know, this is what happened and why? Um, and, you know, she replied and, and said, you know, we had a lot of discussions addressing the issue, but our feeling was that if we addressed it publicly, we would be continuing to spread unintentional trauma and hurt to people that may not have been seen it or may not have seen it Um she points out that Twitter can be a tricky place to have a productive conversation of this nature. Uh, and so they kind of just chose not to engage, which I can see that point. Um, I don't know if I agree that that was the most helpful thing, but it was not my decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I thought that that was some helpful context from Frolic, who has both a history of writing very inclusively and working with a lot of different authors from different backgrounds and um, writers of color. And, you know, I, they, they write about a lot of different kinds of romance and a lot of different kinds of happy ever afters. They also have had other pretty significant missteps. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, th- I did think it was helpful to understand a little bit better how this might've happened. And I think you and I try to understand a story and if we're passing it on, pass as much about it on as we know. Um, so I appreciate that um, they they were willing to send us a little bit more information. And, you know, I will say even before this kind of the thing that was a little bit more alarming to me, given that Frolic did take it down, it seems as soon as they knew what was going on, I just the fact that people were defending the book was just, I don't know, I can't, still can't quite get over that. But I, I guess it's a good reminder that this is the context in which we're operating and we need to be really aware of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us are in our, a really nice bubble when it comes to romance where we have curated our own, um, following and we've curated our own community where it feels like romance is on the same page. 
Um, and then things like this happen, and we realize that there is a vast group that is part of the romance community, and it's not all feminist, and it's not all intersectional, and it's not all right in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we just have to really remember that, you know, it's not a monolith, even though it feels like it. we've figured some things out that haven't completely been figured out on the whole. So this was this was a good way to remind myself that, you know, I can I can talk a lot about how great Romance Landia is and the people that I love in it are great people and they write amazing books, but that doesn't mean that the whole thing is as as great. Yeah. So a sobering reminder here at the end of 2019. <laughs> um and I don't know. Maybe uh, a good way to um, be good patrons of uh, of romance is to ignore that book and tell people some things about what they could be reading instead. Oh gosh, let's <laughs> yes, by all means. Um, we unfortunately, because uh, of news things happening, for everything was so quiet for so long, and then all of the news happened. I know. Um, our our sort of rundown of of 2019 will be a little bit short, but I think we've got some uh, fun titles to share with you. And I was when I was looking at some of the books that I hadn't gotten a chance to talk about or some of the things that made me excited about romance over the course of the last year, I realized that there were a handful of books that we we really hadn't gotten a chance to chat about that much. And I found that one of the things that happened um, to me in like late summer, early September is that I happened to read about three books in a row that were a first person solo narrator. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if that's the exact right term for it, but when I was, um, telling Jess, like, we'll just, you know, sort of highlight and do superlatives or whatever. <laughs> um, I told her, like, my first one is this is the, the narrative style I realized I really like in 2019 is first person solo narrating. <laughs> um, which again, I don't know if that's a real thing, but, but it, it is what it, these three books have in common. So the first, um, is a book called Well Met by Jen DeLuca, which I don't know if we've talked about at all on the podcast, which is just a sign of how much good romance there is out there, because I really, really liked this book. Uh, it's, it's Renfair set, as, you know, as happens. Um, <laughs> it's a, a story of, of a woman named Emily who is going to help her sister recover from an accident. Um, and as a way to help her teenage niece participate in the Renaissance Fair, Emily has to participate as well. Uh, and so the school teacher, the very handsome, but sort of, you know, grumpy school teacher in charge, um, it seems not to like Emily, and she's kind of trying to figure out what's going on with that. She also had just gotten out of a, a relationship that did not end the way that she expected that it would. And um, there's kind of a lot going on there, but it's a fun story. It's it, But there are a lot of serious elements to it, too. And I just really appreciated not knowing exactly what was going on with Simon and his family. <laughs> when you only have Emily's perspective, you kind of have to experience the story with her. And you, you know, you can still kind of see when you're just like, well, just ask him, just ask him what's going on. Or like, maybe that's, maybe he doesn't feel that way. You're making assumptions, Emily. But I actually almost enjoyed playing that role a little bit more from the outside. Uh, and I read that book right around. So that's well met by Jen DeLuca. Highly recommend it. Um, one of the best books I, I like, uh, one of my favorite books I read in 2019, then weirdly we hadn't had a chance to talk about. Um, I read that one right around the same time as I read a book called World Turned Upside Down by Lee Springer. This one's, I think, just a, it's a novella. It's only about 100 pages. It takes place in Antarctica. And I'm not sure if I had read it when we mentioned it a couple of months ago, but um, I have read it now. And it's about uh, Simon, who is a custodian at the McMurdo Station of, you know, science things in <laughs> Antarctica. I can't remember exactly, but it's the, you know, this small group of people who are all working to do science work in, <laughs> uh, to be fair, at least Springer does a much better job of explaining it. I just don't remember the details and that's not how things sit in my brain. So, <laughs> um, so just take my word for it. They're all doing science. Uh, and one of the lead new scientists is, um, Asher Delaney, who's this very handsome, uh, new person. And so Simon is, you know, got, pre- got a pretty big crush on Asher. And one of the things I really liked about this one and only getting Simon's perspective is that Simon starts out with kind of that, 
unrealistic, like movie star sort of style crush <laughs> um, that, you know, we have all had and experienced. And the way that the book goes, even just through Simon's perspective, without even getting to know Asher through Asher's own voice, you see Simon's perspective and you as the reader start to understand Asher as an actual human person who is still really lovely and wonderful, but he goes from being kind of a one-dimensional crush focus to being a really lovely, um, thoughtful, uh, quiet scientist person who Asher can potentially, I'm sorry, Simon can actually build a relationship with. So I liked the way that that kind of transition happened. And that was World Turned Upside Down by Elise Springer. Uh, and then the last one I will mention is from one of my favorite series of the last few years. Uh, it will not surprise anyone to hear. Uh, <laughs> that is the playbook series by Alexa Martin and specifically Blitzed, um, which is, I think, sadly, for now, at least the last book in the series. Um, but I loved Brent. This might actually be my favorite book in the series. And I think I have progressively liked everyone better. Mm-hmm. Um, I love them all. Uh, but the great thing about this person. So first of all, Alexa Martin just writes really fun, funny, interesting women. And so that is true of Bryn as well. Um, but there is, there are a couple of places in this book where there's sort of a misunderstanding or just a problem that you're only seeing through Bryn's eyes, particularly at the end. There's a place where she sort of gets confronted with something where all of her kind of feminist instincts are to believe what she is being told, but it doesn't really match up with what she knows about Maxwell, who's the other person um, in the couple. He is the male interest. And I it was just I thought that was a really interesting way to do it because as the reader, you also don't know the whole story. Bryn doesn't know the whole story and you as a reader don't know the whole story. And you're kind of like, I don't know what I would tell her to do because this is a tough situation. Um so in many, many ways I loved Blitz, but one of the the fa- my favorite things about it was that you you are only seeing the world through Bryn's eyes. Um, and I think that's just a fun, interesting way to experience the way that a relationship builds between people. So uh, as I said, my favorite, one of my favorite uh, discoveries about myself this year was that I really learned that I love a, a first person solo narrative style. That's that's a great discovery. And I too am really surprised that we didn't talk much about Well Met because I also really enjoyed it. I had so many once upon a time feels. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of um Captain Guyliner gifts going around when that book came out and oh man. But anyway, it's interesting that that's that that was what your narrative style was because I am the opposite and I need to know what's going on on all sides and I need to yell at all of the protagonists when they're being stupid. Um, and uh, that helped me realize that while there, it's not, I'm not sure that how long it's been a really prominent thing in romance, but I noticed that the um, narrative style that I had read a ton of this year without even sort of recognizing it was um deep third person in dual point of view like or three points of view um sometimes <laughs> most mostly in the case of holly trent's um books but sure <laughs> but i like i really love having that perspective and like getting really getting to know both characters in the romance as they progress into their love story. Um, and, you know, there, I've read a lot of them this year. I didn't think about how many were that dual perspective until I started thinking about the ones that you talked about with the, the first person, uh, single narrator or mm-hmm. even, even third person single narrator. Like I do, I, like that was the most common thing in romance for so long mm-hmm. that, it was weird to see, to see that I was actually getting a lot of third person from his perspective, third person from her perspective, third person from their perspective, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and the one that stands out most because I read it most recently was My Fake Rake by Eva Lee. Um, and this was definitely one of those situations where I was excited to yell at both of them because they are so dumb and I love them and I would, I would die for them. Oh, sure. Yeah. But so Grace and Sebastian are both, um, 
science people. She is a herpetologist, I think, and he is an anthropologist. And they met at a lending library in Regency England, which is a really cool situation to see because I don't think about lending libraries in Regency England very much. I think about private libraries um, or just, you know, libraries in people's homes. But anyway, so they are really good friends. They've been friends for a long time. And you might know, I don't really read a lot of Friends to Lovers, but this like this was a great situation to have that dual point of view because you could see that each one of them really valued their friendship and was also incredibly in love with the other one. Um, but that's another story. <laughs> well, no, it's this story. Um, so this is great because it's, um, it's a play on, um, the a makeover story, but it's a rakeover. So Sebastian is definitely one of those beautiful men who wears glasses and she takes off his glasses and sees how handsome he really is. Um, but she, Grace is, needs to get married and her ideal partner, while actually Sebastian is another lending library gentleman who, um, has never really seen her as a woman, just a fellow scientist. And uh, somebody tells her, that the best way to make him want her is to make him jealous. And the best way to do that is for someone to um, woo her. And the best person to do that is Sebastian. So they go on a whole Eliza Doolittle trip of turning Sebastian into the most wanted man in London, but not wanted by police, wanted by women. Most desired. <laughs> most desired. Desired. There we wanted go. Wanted versus desired is uh is yeah. Wanted is different. <laughs> that's a that's a good good good. See, I'm I'm also having morning issues, and it is mm -hmm. no longer morning in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I'm going on a long a long time about this book, and there are plenty of other books to talk about. But anyway, so the best thing about the dual point of view here is that you don't just know what one of them is thinking about the other. You get to see how their thoughts progress, where, where their holdups are, where, where their hangups are and how they eventually figure their stuff out. And I love that. And a couple other ones I'm just going to mention in passing that I thought did that really well, where the authors really like brought us so far into both characters' minds that you just want to either slap them or hug them um, was Work For It by Talia Hibbert, um, which was her first male-male romance and so many feelings and elderberries. Um, Flashed by Zoe Castile, which is actually the third book in um, her um, series about strippers. And this one is actually not about strippers, <laughs> um, but he once was one. Um, Aisha at Last by Uzma Jalaluddin, which is a, um, Pride and Prejudice retelling. So that's great to, to have a sympathetic Darcy based character from the start, even though he already, he like, he's not completely sympathetic because he's got some really hard lines that he has about his own thoughts, but you get to be in his mind as things change. So that's really nice. And then the last one, which I think we've talked about a few times, but I am always down to mention is The Bride Test by Helen Huang. Um, just because I could not imagine that story from only one point of view. Having both of them is just like the best thing about that book. Yeah, okay, fair. I mean, I still like that kind too. But... <laughs> Um, and actually, your mention of Aisha at last and Pride and Prejudice made me think of how much I also really enjoyed um, Pride, Prejudice and Other Flavors by Sonali Dove, which we've talked about a thousand mm -hmm. times. But and the fact that you have both perspectives and that did make me almost like it better than Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're not just a jerk. Okay. <laughs> so I yeah, I like a lot of different perspectives and points of view. And what actually one of the not super deep because it was um, novella length, but one of the one of my favorite sort of dual perspective third person books um, that I read, I had to be reminded that it came out this year. And <laughs> even now I'm like, seriously, what was Alyssa Cole like for the first six months of this year? I think she put out five books. Five. Yeah. Yeah. It's like bananas, <laughs> three full length and two novellas, I think. I, anyway, 
So good job, her. Uh, she just put out another one on um, Audible, but it'll be in print eventually. So be excited. Um, but anyway, one of my happiest surprises of the year was, as I mentioned a few times, I was on the road all year um, visiting different cities and, and I went to bookstores in all of those cities. And I was so delighted by how often I saw Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole in bookstores. Mm. Um, because to be clear, it's not uncommon to see an Alyssa Cole book in a bookstore these days. I might have been five years ago, but now it is not. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, her books are wonderful and incredibly valuable to the reading population. It is not super common to see a book with uh, two women of color uh, who are clearly romantically uh, gazing at each other mm-hmm. and delightfully gazing at each other. I love how like fun this cover is. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just really delighted by how um, how often I saw this book which was a novella. You don't always see a lot of novellas in bookstores either. Um, but boy, Jess, I saw it in indie stores. I saw it in Barnes & Noble. I saw it in, oh gosh, it's not Borders because Borders doesn't exist anymore. Books a Million? Books a Million. <laughs> yeah, I saw it in Books a Million. So I mean, I saw it in a lot of different kinds of stores. And so, I don't know, and it's wonderful and delightful and everyone should be reading it. And so huge hats off both to the stores for carrying it. But I think Avon must have also really pushed it to get it into those stores. Um and I think that was like kind of my happiest. I, I, it, it absolutely should be the case, but what, sh- what, it, what should be the case and what is the case is not always the same. So I was very happy to see Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole in various bookstores. Yeah. And I actually, while I had read it at the very, very beginning of the year, um, I bought mine in an indie bookstore along with, uh, my print copy of The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics on Bookstore Romance Day, which was my happiest surprise of, of the romance year. Um, I like, it wasn't a surprise that it was happening. I was just delightfully surprised by how well it, it happened um, across the board everywhere. And the fact that it happened in my city in, in Tucson, which is not a thing that I expected until I realized that mostly books, the store that hosted it here is a very romance friendly and uh, like a good friend to romance in Tucson. Um, And I was happy to pick up those books and a few others by some local authors and to go to a really cool event there that they had um, for the day. I got to meet another podcaster named Jess, um, who um, is one of the hosts of the Phoenix Nest podcast, which is another romance podcast. You should definitely check it out. Um, and I got to meet other people, which I am very bad at. If you don't know me, I am I meet lots of people online and it is delightful, but I am terrible at meeting people in person. So I had a reason to meet other romance people <laughs> in oh, person. So you mean like you mean you're bad at seeking them out? Yes. I was like, what do you mean you're bad? I mean, you're delightful. <laughs> but no. Okay. Yes. Okay. Once you actually get yourself into their proximity, then your delightfulness takes over. But yeah. you got to actually, okay, I'm with you. Got it. Yeah, so Bookstore Romance Day was definitely my happiest bookish surprise of 2019, along with the ability to get Once Ghosted, Twice Shy in print at a bookstore, at a independent bookstore in Tucson, Arizona. So yeah, there was that. I love it. Uh, and then I will just close out um, by talking about what is my so far most recommended book of 2019 slash I've already bought it for like three people slash <sighs> I was a little surprised not to see it on more year end books um, because one of my absolute favorite books of the year and maybe the only book that came out this year that I've already reread um, is The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller, um, which I just love so much about it. Uh, it's another book. Boy, I think maybe you and I were jointly into the sciencey romances in 2019. <laughs> I think we were. <laughs> yeah. We're all about the science in 2019. Um, because the, one of the, the main characters in this book, Sam, who, as we have described, mentioned before, was described, uh, by the, um, marketing team for this book as being like the, uh, Chris Hemsworth character in Ghostbusters, except like a genius, uh, and also a ghost hunter. <laughs> um, 
But he's actually not even a ghost hunter because he wishes them no ill will. Uh, it's just sort of an example. He's lovely and charming and delightful. And, um, he is, he encounters Alva who, uh, has ghosts in her house and he wants to, you know, meet and befriend the ghosts. <laughs> um, and Alva has, um, is coming off of a, a really, uh, she is a widow. Um, her husband was abusive. And so there is a will, um, as we have done in the past, content warning for folks who um, have trouble uh, or just don't want to read about uh, abusive relationships. Um, there's also uh, some maltreatment of the uh, mentally ill. Um, neither is really on the page, but if that's just a turnoff for you, worth noting. And I always feel very strange offering that content warning and then mentioning that this book, in addition to dealing with those serious issues, is actually also clever and funny and um, the characters are fun and delightful. But I think it's a great example of how you actually can do both. You can, in a comedic book, address serious topics and issues. The characters are wonderful. Their chemistry is great. I will probably read this book again sometime in the next few months just because I'm so delighted by it. If you have not read The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller and um, bearing those content warnings in mind, it sounds like you might even kind of be interested in it. Take a look because I, oh man, I just loved this one. It was it was so great. And I don't know if you subscribe to Diana Biller's newsletter, but um, there was a little uh, gift for us featuring Sam's parents. No. Ah, I'm bad Uh, at author newsletters. I'm gonna have to subscribe and see if I can get past issues. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's I haven't I haven't read it yet. But I hear that it is just delightful. Um, So that's a a bonus for for those of you who have already read it or might be reading it in the future is that even though there isn't another uh, book featuring any of the characters in it yet, there is a little little extra a holiday gift for Diana Biller's readers. And I had a hard time with this question because I recommend a lot of things to a lot of people. And, you know, I will always talk about my favorites. You know, if you want this kind of thing, read Alyssa Cole. If you want this kind of thing, read Beverly Jenkins. If you want to read this kind of thing, read Sarah McLean. But I realized that the author and book that I have talked the most about both inside and outside of the romance community, because I am a slapping myself for taking so long to pick up one of her books and be scampering to try to catch up, um, is Christina C. Jones and her novella, I Think I Might Love You, which is the first in a series of three, um, about the love sisters. And I Think I Might Love You is black romantic comedy to its finest, at its finest, whatever. Um, and so uh, the Jacqueline, who is the female protagonist, is one of those people that some readers might call unlikable. Like she, she speaks her truth and she is, she, she can, she expresses her anger when she needs to. And she might express a little too much sometimes. Um, and uh, she is, um, a, about to stay at her sister's apartment. Her sister um, travels a lot, so usually she can just kind of go and hang out and encounters someone who she doesn't think should be in the apartment and um, assaults him a little bit. Um, But she thinks that he's an intruder, so, you know. So, fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) But it turns out that he is subletting the apartment. (laughs) And so she was wrong. So she was wrong. <laughs> now we know. And so that's their first encounter. But they don't meet each other for a while until um, Jacqueline somehow acquires a cat by accident. Like it, it ends up on her um, her fire escape, and she needs to help it, and discovers that he is a local vet, and. She needs his help, and he helps her. And they just keep encountering each other until she has to do some community service, and his office is the only place that she can do it. So it's it's a comedy of errors. It's witty and fun and um, just really, really smart. And I loved both of the characters to death, even though I wanted to hit them sometimes. And 
it seems to be a thing with Christina C. Jones books, and I'm slowly, slowly making my way through her backlist, like super slow because there's a lot of it, and there are a lot of books just in general. Um, but I think I might love you is um, the the one that I think is a great introduction to her as an author, and I've been telling people that. <laughs> So I think that that made its way into being probably like my most direct recommendation of the year and a book that definitely more people need to be reading. All right. Well, it sounds like it's a book I need to be reading because I haven't read it yet and I'm very excited about it. Uh, and I will do what hopefully all of you will do too, which is that if you have any uh, downtime over the course of the next few weeks, um, you can use it for reading romance. It'll be uh, It'll be fun for everyone. Yes. Um, all of these titles and the links that we talked about will be in the show notes. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, that we will not have an episode two weeks from now. Book Riot is, um, you know, closed between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So you will hear from us um, in four weeks, mm-hmm. um, which will feel like a very long time. We'll have a lot to get caught up on. Yes. Uh, but in the meantime, if, if you have anything you want to send us or, or have any interest in reaching us, you can, as always, reach us at whenandromance at bookriot.com. Or you can find us on the socials. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jess is Reading, all one word. I almost forgot for a second. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> um, or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And I am at Trisha Haley Brown on both. Um, feel free to also rate and review the podcast if you're excited about it. It'll help other folks find it. Uh, and, you know, in the meantime, um, and if you are doing any celebrating or any resting or any of any traveling over the course of the next month, um, hopefully it goes well for you. And hope you, hopefully you find some books you like. Yes, hope you do. And when you do, happy reading. Happy reading. We'll see you in 2020.